I believe everyone has a story to share. I'm on a journey to discover the magic inside each person's story. Each week, I will introduce you to guests where I will dig deep and uncover the beautiful miracles from life and experiences to inspire and encourage you to live life to the fullest. My goal is to give each guest a platform to share their lives with the world in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Goner. Are you ready? Here we go. Welcome back to Uncover Your Magic. We know we are all going to die. We know this fact, but so many of us are afraid or avoid the subject most of our lives. I have interviewed a few people on this podcast who have had near-death experiences, and I find the stories so similar and so fascinating. My guest today is David Ditchfield, who is coming to us all the way from the United Kingdom. I just finished his book, Shine On, which I couldn't put down. I think it needs to be made in a movie. You will understand after David explains his experience, how even more connected we are to our guides and angels and how they are always with us. I know this episode will be one you will want to share with all of your friends because David gives death or the afterlife a vision of such beauty and peace and another reminder that we are all one and all love. Here is a little excerpt from his book about David. He was an atheist, an alcoholic, and his life was falling apart. Then he was run over by a train. It turns out it was a gift, one of several his angels, guides, and even God or the divine gave him. It wasn't just a second chance, but a powerful message he brought back. He came back able to paint, he couldn't before, and to write music. His first symphony got a standing ovation. He could do nothing of the sort beforehand, and he stopped drinking cold. David Ditchfield, near-death survivor, musician, symphony composer, and author of a brilliant book on his near-death experience, Shine On, the remarkable story of how I fell under a speeding train, journeyed to the afterlife, and the astonishing proof I brought back with me. His profound experience and the messages he gained will help you transform your life as well. You'll discover your own gifts the angels have embedded within you. Remember to go to my website and sign up for my monthly guest speaker events I have going on. February was with Dominic Zenden, the Aura Reader. You can find that on a recorded on YouTube if you missed it. And also this March will be Vanessa Stewart. She channels the angels, and that episode with Vanessa and I was 81. If you haven't listened, go back. She will amaze you with her gifts, which is why she is coming March 5th live on Zoom to answer all your questions and maybe even channel your angels and guides. So without further ado, let's bring David Ditchfield to the show. Welcome, David. Hi, thanks for having me along. Um, you're so welcome and coming all the way from the United Kingdom. You're in London, Cambridge, 
I'm in Cambridge, yeah. That's where I am at the moment, yeah. So that's it. So, yeah, yeah, it's okay here, you know, just evening time for me, morning for you. Yes, thank you. Before we pushed record, I was telling you that I've been reading your book, Shine On, and I talked about it in the intro. And there's certain books that kind of speak to me or, you know, I can visualize the whole scene so clearly the way it's written. And I've really enjoyed it. And I've enjoyed the, you know, when, when everyone, we all are going to die. And we all seem to either avoid this, the topic yeah, or yeah. try to think that it's not going to be something that we have to experience in our life, avoid. But um, before we go into near-death experience and your accident, I find fascinating your story before that happened. And the words that you use are, you know, shame, unworthiness. You know, I don't think self-love would put would come into your vocabulary during those years before this happened. And why I say that is when I was I was touched by listening to, you know, the struggle that you had, like you know, being dyslexic and, you know, all the, you know, trying to, you know, make it in London, you know, this high, mm. you know, every, you know, highly educated, highly successful neighborhood, trying to find a relationship and going through all those struggles, feeling not worthy and all that. But would you take us to that place? Because I think if people understood this moment, because I always call it because it's uncover your magic, the magic moment, or, you know, when did you figure out your magic? You know, it's it was under sure. that train, you know, it's like, yeah, exactly. you know, who yeah. would have thought, yeah. right? Like <laughs> in your know. life to look above yeah. and say, well, as soon as I get hit by the, you know, get run over by that train, mm-hmm. that's when my mm-hmm. life, I'm going to start seeing my worthiness and my, I'm going to love myself. Mm-hmm. But could you go back to that, those stories of you trying to find yourself and how you were raised and all that? Mm, sure. Well, i where I was raised in in a place called Worcestershire, which is in the middle of England, and uh, I went to like a, st- a state school, what we call comprehensive schools in the UK, and it it was a pretty sort of fairly rough school. You know, it wasn't sort of you didn't get that much care. There was an awful lot of kids uh, being taught in that school, and they kind of graded you pretty soon. You know, they they, they pick out the kids that they can see are going to succeed, and they're going to get all the grades, and they encourage them and push them. And I was one of those who wasn't in that stream because, as you say, I'm dyslexic. I don't, they didn't actually diagnose me at the time as being dyslexic because I had no idea at all, you know. And so I was constantly told that I was, you know, I was troubled, that I was not, I was lazy and, you know, I didn't want to cooperate or didn't want to learn, which is completely not true. I actually wanted to learn and I wanted to do something with my life, but... I got this thing, which is dyslexia. I was just struggling to understand and keep up with the rest of the kids. Um, so when I left school, I left school with very little qualifications. And um, and so I was. I remember being encouraged. We had these things, these meetings at school towards the end where they say, right, you're not going to university. Uh, you know, that's for sure. So you know, here's your choice. There's a factory down the road. You can go and work there. And I'm going, I'm not working in the factory. That's not for me, you know, so... I didn't do that. And uh, so basically most of the work I was picking up was just kind of like sort of uh, 
casual work, sort of, you know, sort of mainly manual work, manual labouring work, sorry, you know, on constructing sites or whatever I could get. I was working in kitchens, washing up dishes, anything, you know, just to get by and pay the bills. Um, I moved to London, yeah, as you say. I, I moved there because I thought, you know, that's my big hope. That's my big chance. If I get to London, maybe I can make something of myself there. Maybe people will understand me, you know. So I, I, I did move to London. I, I had a great time there. I did enjoy it. You know, I loved the city, the whole vibe. But for me, it was a struggle because um, I was continuing to pick up manual labouring work. And I realised by this point that I wasn't actually very good at that kind of work. Uh, you know, these other guys were really skilled uh, at what they were doing on, on the site. And they used to call me speedy and, you know, in other words, I was slow. And mm-hmm. I just thought, where do I fit in in this world? Where do I fit in? And I befriended quite a lot of people when I was there who were working in, in the music industry mainly and, and things like that in entertainment and doing really well. And I just wanted to be part of that world, but the, that door was never going to open for me. So, um, I, yeah, so I, I found myself, I started to pick up most of my work in the local bar. You know, that's where you go to pick, you, you, you hang out with the construction worker um, sort of managers, you know, and, and you'd say, hey, any work going tomorrow and stuff like that. So you kind of hustle for work. So you'd end up hanging out at the bar every single evening, trying to hustle for work and then you're drinking and, and then all the money's gone. And then I suddenly found myself drinking, d- depending on alcohol, basically, to sort of get me through what I figured was, a failure within myself of not being able to fit in anywhere and not being able to find my identity. And so it became a, a problem purely from the point of view that it was just not feasible to be able to live like this. You know, I was running out of money. I was running out of luck. I was running out of work. So it got to the stage where I thought I'd hit rock bottom and you know, I'd hit the bottom and uh, it was, you know, and I know, there's a lot of people being there. You know, this isn't like me saying, I, you know, oh, poor me, you know, I'm a poor old guy or, you know, poor young guy, whatever it was, you know. But it's more like the, the question of, you know, a lot of people are in this, this position. A lot of people who've read the book realise that that's how it is for them as well, you know, that it's a struggle for so many of us. So, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay you can keep yeah. going but let me yeah that's fine yeah. no so the the what caught my attention was you know yes the drinking the bars the friends that you met there the women that you dated and the worthness the one woman that was very successful and you went to the dinner party and you drank too much because you were uncomfortable and you know that was yeah. i could still see that vision i could see the movie play out yeah and then you finally figure out like you think that i think there was a moment where you've heard something about a medium and you That's went right, and yeah. you said i'm going to go to this medium and you thought yeah. were you going to your sisters we go yeah, there I was, yeah, I, I was that, going up to, to visit her. That's a pivotal moment weekend. right there. Yeah. 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 It was because uh, I, I was non-spiritual. You know, I had no faith or anything, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, I didn't have time for all that. All I had time for was just like living by the day. And uh, I was on the train on the way up to see my sister. And there was an elderly couple sat opposite. And they were confused as to where the rail station was that they had to get off. Of. So I was helping them with that. And uh 
she, the lady started to engage in more conversation with me. And to be honest with you, I was feeling like I don't want this conversation. I was, I was actually hungover. I'd have been, I'd been out with my friends the night before and was just like, no, please, you know. But she was lovely and she was quite insistent. She said, look, we're, gonna, we're off to see a medium. And she said, this medium's brilliant. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, you should come. Here's the flyer, you know. So she handed me this flyer. And it was somebody who was completely unknown, you know, sort of, but was incredibly good because um, I ended up going. I I got to my sister's and there was a lot of chaos going on at the time. I just decided I'm going to go. I'm going to go and see this this and see what it's all about. And it was packed. I walked into this. uh, It was a small spiritualist church in in Cambridgeshire. And... uh, I found myself a seat near the front and I sat down and the medium came out. She was brilliant. She was very animated. She was walking backwards and forwards and she was getting all these messages like quick fire and they were all completely bang on the money. You know, everyone was going, yeah, that's, you know, that's my grandfather. That's my husband or what have you, you know? So people were delighted to be getting all these stories from their loved ones. And at that point in my life, I wasn't looking for that. I wasn't, nobody had passed on that I really needed to connect with. So I just sat there and enjoyed the show. And suddenly she turned around and it was a very different sort of approach, but she turned around and said, gentleman over there in the blue sweater. And I went, oh, me? She said, yes, you. She said, your life is about to change. And I went, oh, okay. I thought it was going to be a lottery winning, you know. I thought right. it was going to be getting the girl you, I wanted that you talked of. Uh, <laughs> you know? And then I, I, all these different things. And um, I said, in what way? What, what way is it going to change? And she walked around. She was really animated. She was, going, she was like talking to them, having a conversation with her guide. And she was going, yes, yes, yes. Okay, okay. And then she turned around and she said, they're not telling me. But all they're saying is, be prepared. It's going to be big, but you'll be protected. I went, fantastic. So, you know, that was it. So I went off, you know, thinking it was going to be the lottery winning and all stuff like that, but nothing more of it. But then obviously I realised, you know, some time on after that, you know, that I had this this uh, accident and then the, a huge spiritual awakening. And that's clearly what the message was all about. You know? Right. Okay, then I we need to go there because people are going <laughs> to love this story. And I, I've heard it so many times that I just, I don't think I could, I could hear it nonstop because it's so powerful. And when it comes from somebody and why I wanted you to share your story that, you know, isn't spiritual and, you know, before this and, you know, doesn't really believe in God and, you know, the guides and, you know, all these amazing things that you do now. That's when I feel like it's so relatable and someone can understand, you know, coming from you where it's like, yeah, you know, I've heard of, you know, many people that have had near-death experience. I'm sure now that you've had one, you've probably talked to so many where you can compare stories, but I, there's a similarity to them and I think it's beautiful. So let's go to, you met your Anna at the bar. She was a bartender and I love the, like, first (laughs) You loved yeah, her yeah. energy and she yeah. you kind of fa- finally found somebody that you, that there is a connection. Yeah, that I found a connection. And also, to be honest with you, I found that I, I was being real with her and I realized that I wasn't being real with anybody else at that point in my life, you know. Yeah. And so I was acting my way through life, you know. But with her, I just kind of felt, yeah, there was this sense of realness with her, you know, that I had no choice with her because that's the way she was as a person. And so what had happened was, I, I, as I said, I ran out of money. I lost my apartment, you know, I had to leave. So my sister said, come and hang out with us for a few weeks and get your feet back on the ground, you know, so I did. And while I was there, 
But Anna was texting me and she said, why don't I come up and see you? I said, yeah, great. So she came up for a few days and we were just hanging out, just having a good time, you know, and um, she had to get back to London. So I took her down to the rail station and to see her off. And that's where my whole life was about to change at that point because I was just helping her, you know, you know with her bags and saying goodbye, you know, and on, helping onto the car and stuff with, with, with her luggage. And we gave each other a hug and a kiss and we were saying goodbye. And it was, it was pretty much at that point that my coat, I was wearing like a, a sheepskin coat, which was like three quarter length. The bottom corner got trapped in the automatic closing doors. And, um, I knew I wasn't going to pull it free. You know, it was a sick quality coat and it was like, wow, that this is stuck. And, um, the engine started to rev up. I looked around, I, I yelled at the top of my voice for help, but there was no one around. There was no guard on the platform. You know, there was just one of the guy stood there who had seen saying goodbye to his girlfriend. And he shouted at me, he said, take your coat off, you know, take your coat off. And, I just said, no, it's not going to come off because it's like this sheepskin. It was just like, no way. It's it's just wrapped very tightly around me, you know. And um, anyway, the engine started to rev and I looked into the eyes of my friend Anna and I just saw the look of terror uh, right across her face. And I just thought, this is it, you know, I'm going to die because I thought there's no way I'm going to pull free. So the train started to pull out the station and I went with it. Then I lost my footing and it, I remember hearing every gear shift, you know, they really go fast. Trains pull out of stations so fast. You don't think about it. When you're sat inside, you know, you go straight onto your cell phone or whatever and you just start texting friends and you're not thinking about all that. But when you're attached to the outside of it, believe you me, it's very, very fast. It's very fierce, you know. And um, anyway, I got pulled along the, the platform edge and then I got sucked between the edge of the platform, then the the speeding train itself, and I went under. And that was the point where I just kind of felt like I was being sucked into this great sort of dark pit, you know, and I was thrown around relentlessly. I was just tossed around like a ragdoll. And um, I was fully conscious throughout the whole of this ordeal. But, you know, I was determined not to let this beast kill me so that's what it felt like this the train suddenly became this, this huge mechanical beast as i as i describe it you know and uh, i thought no you're not going to take me and uh, and eventually i got thrown down to the ground you know and i was thrown uh, onto the onto the gravel in between the tracks and the, and the train was still going on at high speed above my head uh-huh. uh, and I just heard it, you know, just going back constantly, constantly, one carriage after another. And I thought, it's not over yet. You know, part of the undercarriage could just whack me over the back of the head. It would all be over. So right. I put my face into the gravel. I remember thinking of all the Indiana Jones, Bond, 007 movies I'd seen and thought, right, what would they do now? They, <laughs> they would get their head right down. Yeah, so it's, it's amazing what happens when uh, how the brain you know, operates to help you and uh, survival. You know, it's, it's a fight or flight mode, you know. And uh, so, yeah, the train eventually moved on. And I remember it just going off down the track and then the noise and the clatter suddenly disappeared into the, echoed into the distance. And there I was lying on the track in, in complete agony. And this uh, quality sheepskin coat was now ripped to shreds, you know. And oh uh, I was in a bit of a mess, to say the very least, but... It was just so amazing to be alive, you know. I just, 
remember it was beautiful. It was a February day and the sky was just like very bright blue and, and there wasn't a cloud in the sky. And I just felt so in touch with nature at that point. I felt in touch with the world, you know. Yeah. Even with um, your arm like in shred, like all shred. Oh, yeah, up. yeah. It's even with my arm in shreds, you know, it's just because it's um, it's a moment. I can understand this sounds crazy, but I know why people do things like bungee jumping there because they are simulating what I went through. You know, they're going through that thing where their their mind is, they, yeah, they know what they're doing. They know it's all being jumping off that bridge on a right. big accord, but the mind doesn't know that. The mind thinks that they're about to die, you know, and then the fact that they survive, they feel great, euphoric afterwards. So there was a sense of, wow, ah. I'm alive, you know. Um, but yeah, but that didn't last too long because I suddenly realized that the state of my arm, my arm had been cut, it had been uh, from the, the elbow right down, you know, it was like barely there and uh, it had been ripped right open, you know, I could see right inside and it was just very, you know, it was a mess. So I knew things weren't too good. And yeah, the emergency guys arrived really quick. You know, there was a small hospital just around the corner from the station. So they were there and they jumped down on the tracks and they started cutting through my clothes, you know, and, and um, somehow got me on, off that platform on a stretcher and on, into an ambulance, you know, because it's a long way down. <laughs> you know, really, it's yeah. quite a lot. It's a drop, you know. Right. So, uh, yeah, they did that without putting me through too much, you know, distress i guess and um yeah i remember the doctor in the back of the ambulance said look you know there's a hospital around the corner but the one that's really going to save you is a 25 minute drive can you do it i said yeah let's go so the siren went on and we just screamed off down the highway you know and uh, and when i arrived at the hospital there was like a whole team of medics already waiting for me you know i remember seeing them all in there i thought this was pretty serious and it sounded serious you know because you know when they got me there there was all these doctors sounded really frantic and there was a lot of panic. I didn't understand what they were talking about because it was all science going right. above my head, you know. Um, so I, I thought at that point, it's not all over yet, you know. I just, you know, I still felt a sense of like, I'm not okay. This is not good. And um, it's your uh, arm. It's nothing else. Like your face is fine. You put it in the Yeah, gravel. my face was fine. Yeah, my face was absolutely yeah. fine. It was just my arm had been had been uh, severed, basically, from, as I say. So there was a lot of blood loss. I was losing uh, copious amounts of blood by this point. And then my family arrived. My family came in. And I remember the, the guy, the surgeon who was actually working on me, was an amazing guy. And uh, he took great care of me. And he said, look, you know, your family are here. Can you see them? And I said, yeah. Well, I didn't realize they'd be here, you know. I sent them through. So they came in, you know. And I remember seeing Anna and I saw her there, sat right at the back, like this kind of frightened lamb just sat at the back of the room oh, in I complete bet. shock, you know. And I just wanted to talk to her, you know. I said, look, can you can you get Anna to come forward? I'm just she came forward and I said, Are you okay? You know. And uh she said, Yeah, I'm fine. But she said, I can't believe you're alive. That you know. Yeah, I saw you go under, you know, I just, it, there's no way I thought you would survive that. And um, and she told me a really beautiful story as well afterwards. She said that she'd heard, you know, the announcements over the sort of tannoy system, you know, the, the, the being a fatality at the station. So she figured out oh, I was, that was confirmation. But the train didn't stop until some time, she said, you know, it kept going for miles at the station and then finally they found a guard and they stopped the train and they were in, sat in the middle of the countryside and so figuring that I was dead she said she um, she turned around to all, all the people it was a very 
busy commuter sort of all the people were coming back from the from work and as she said everyone was reading their newspapers and laptops and she said oh can we say a prayer for my friend and uh she said a woman stepped forward and said look i'm a christian would you like me to take the prayers and she said please yeah and um she said they just laid down all the newspapers and laptops and the whole carriage just said this prayer for me yeah. and uh huh. It was so amazing. And I felt that energy from those prayers when she told me afterwards. I said, oh, do you know what? I felt that energy. It's just huh. so I really believe in the power of prayer. It works. You know, if anybody yes. is suffering in your life and, you know, and do pray for them because it does work. It's just, it's an, it's an incredibly strong um, energy. Yeah. But you remember feeling that before she, when you were laying in the hospital, you felt That's that. right. Yeah. I remember feeling oh, it when she that. told me afterwards and, uh, you know, that, that I felt that energy. I knew that I was getting this love. It was just coming through, you know. Right. Oh, that is, oh, I love that. So then you, you, your family's there. And then all of a sudden, this is the moment where you are escaping your body. <laughs> That's right. Yes. I'm escaping all the, the franticness of the hospital, you know, all the agony and the pain and stuff. And, uh, and I suddenly went from a brightly lit hospital to, what appeared to be like a darkened space and um, not a foreboding darkened space, but a, a comforting one. And uh, I was suddenly greeted by, uh, I guess, by these, by these pulsating lights that were all around me. They were like landing lights at an airport, you know, and, and I thought, where am I? You know, and I figured straight away that I thought, okay, I didn't make it. I, I am dead. I thought I passed on. And um, I was, it's strange, but I didn't actually resist it either. I know that I've since, as you said earlier, you know, I'm sure I've said to a lot of people about NDEs, and I know there are some people who resisted, it, you know, and wanted to come back, but they got too much to, to live for. They got families and children and stuff like that. So I can understand that. But I guess for me, I didn't want to die, but I, from what I'd just been through, it was so hellish. So it just felt great to be in this comfort and to this beautiful place that was just um and all the pain and all the agony had gone there was no more pain you know and I just felt so relaxed and I just laid my head back and uh, uh tried to figure out where I was you know and I felt that I was no longer laid on this uh, sort of a trolley in the emergency department in the hospital but I was suddenly on a huge slate rock it was like a a big medieval altar if you like and uh and I just felt wow, where am I? What is this? You know, and and I looked at my body to check, you know, my wounds to check and see how everything was looking, you know. And when I did look, I was covered in just like a, a blue satin sort of silky sheet material and uh, nothing else. I was no longer clothed, but it felt really comfortable to be laid on this rock, which just seems kind of strange because mm-hmm. you wouldn't think it would be, but it was. And um as I laid back, I remember looking up and I could see three grids of white light were coming in, closing in towards me. And I couldn't take my gaze out of this light because it was just, it was like a healing energy that was coming from this white light. And uh, it was so bright that normally I would not be able to look into it. But in this realm, it was possible. Um, so, yeah, so as time went on, I started to feel that there was a presence. I felt somebody was there. You know, you know, if somebody just walks into a room and you've got your eyes closed, right. and that's what it was like. And so I opened my eyes and looked up. There was, there was this person that was just stood at my feet, an androgynous being, if you like, who was just wearing this simple black T-shirt like I'm wearing now, very contemporary, nothing too ethereal. And that was it. And uh, with this sort of kind of 
sort of white blonde hair and this kind of skin that was just glowing like, like an energy light that was coming from the skin it was just it was just a beautiful like a lovely glow but i knew this person i was looking at this person and i actually said i know you don't i who are you i know your face you know and uh this person just kind of gets kept smiling at me and you know reassuringly huh. and uh, not like, tell giving them, anything like you're away. when you that's what i love to when i was listening to it it's like when you're in that whatever zone yeah, <laughs> that yeah. uh whatever you're it's, tel- it's uh telepathy you're asking right. it yeah i love yeah because i yeah. understand i'm getting to understand that in different ele- why am i blanking on you know different different uh, stories from others yeah no just yeah. you know like yeah. when you're in a different somewhere else when you don't have a you don't have your eyes to see you, you can stare at that light it's not yeah. blinding you can yeah. listen without speaking the senses yeah. aren't there. So you are, it's all through your mind. Well, it is because ultimately what I realized was uh, even though when I looked down to check my body, that was my body that was lying there. It was me that was in that realm. But what I realized was it was just, it was that the actual pure essence of my soul that was there. So it was just my, it was my soul. So there was no emotions attached. There was no, there was no sense of time. There's no sense of worrying about time, you know, and I'd spent most of my life before that just focusing on time or worrying about the past or past mistakes or missed opportunities, worrying about the future, you know, worrying about where I was, where I was how was I going to make money, make something in my life, all those things. And right. I never really thought about the present moments, whereas there I was in the present moments and it was the best possible feeling, you know, just to be in that um, space and time. And, uh, and yeah, so things were different, yeah. Um, but one thing that was different that I noticed was that was the clarity of it all. You know, there was just this kind of sense of it being ultra real. You know, it was just like wow. It was just like it was like more than three dimensional, and it was just like it's just really quite astonishing. But I knew ultimately that this person that was stood there, who wasn't giving me any answers verbally, was. Um, Really, you know, this was that this person had been with me throughout the whole of my life and beyond. You know, this person was like, like my soulmate, you know, my guardian angel or my higher self, even, you know. Right. And so that's why this person looks so familiar. Um, Mm -hmm. So you feel that that person is now you're connected because you have seen that soul with you. Um, But you believe that soul has been with you for lifetimes and lifetimes indeed indeed yeah that's it yeah that yeah. feeling just that comfort lifetimes. that comfort that you felt with with his presence yeah that's it you know and so you know when people talk about having a guardian angel or having spirit guides um that's exactly true and two other beings suddenly appeared as well uh, who were both female form there was a the girl to my right was was kind of quite European looking again, wearing a simple brown dress. And, uh, and the girl to my left was more sort of, uh, American Indian or Asian Indian or even Brazilian, um, you know, and she was wearing like a more traditional dress, uh, but they both had their hands just, uh, hovering over my body, you know, just kind of like, they were just kind of like healing me, healing the trauma that what, what my body had just been through. Hmm. Even though I say that was my soul that was there, obviously my body is part of my soul. It was part of, my history and so that body was being healed but i felt more so that the, it was my my soul was being healed i felt all the the hurt 
and the shame and the pain and, and all those different feelings were being slowly peeled off me one by one and, and they were just getting right down to this pure essence of me, my soul, you know, who I am, you know. And uh, so they were healing all those wounds that that we all carry. Like I say again, you know, it's not me being poor on me. It's just, it's like, it's, we all, we all carry wounds. We all carry emotional scars, don't we? Things that have happened in our lives, normally from childhood, you know, because we're so, I realize now when looking back, the child is so important. It really is, you know, because that's when we're, we're absorbing some of this knowledge, aren't we? You know, and so, yes. Yes. I mean, I want to go in there really quick because I am a mom of two girls that, know that they're programmed these limiting beliefs, you know, from zero to seven, or it's just once you get to in your fifties and you realize all the programs that you've played your whole life that have stopped you from living a true authentic life that you had to go under a train to wake up and (laughs) realize that you are this amazing soul that is pure love and light and can do anything. Yeah, you know, we I, all you know, are. To, yeah, yeah exactly. we all are, yeah. right? That's it, yeah. But I try to, you know, I, I teach children the these tools. I'm a passionate about that. Brilliant. And why I brought that up when you were talking about childhood <laughs> is because I feel like that's why I wanted you to explain your childhood because I feel like, you know, when you think of, we're all not going to have near-death experiences and, you know, have this awakening like you did, but to be aware that they are, just these beliefs that you think are true, but aren't. And to live free of that and to live with that love that you now found within that moment is profound to me. And it's a lesson to everyone to know that we don't need to go under a train and experience a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. We can do that now, you know, living in the moment, looking around, looking like you did on that slate rock covered in that blue silk sheet the people around you and believe that there is that, you Ooh. know, and it is just a belief. Yeah. It's, it's a belief. And to me, it's a reality as well. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's like, you know, I've lost both my parents. My, my, my father passed um, six months ago and, and when both of them went, you know, for me, it was, it was, yeah, I was, I mourned the, the physical loss and grieved for them. And, and, and I was really heartbroken, but it was such an incredible comfort for me to know where they were going, you know, and, oh, and just, you know, just knowing that when both of them passed, you know, you know, I knew that their souls were just going. I remember I said to my mother, you know, when she passed, I said, well, mom, I know where you are now and I know you're going to love it. That they, you know, you're going to love that space. And it's a real comfort to me. And I, and I just hope that whatever I, I do, when I talk about my story, that other people who are in, in situations where they might be, you know, caring for loved ones who, who haven't got long to go, that they can take something from it, you know, take some comfort that, that it's not the end. Because, I mean, basically for me, I, I just feel that the strong, the soul is too strong an entity to just suddenly stop, you know. The, right. Yes, the body does. The body just will suddenly s- slow down and stop and, and die. But but the soul continues on because our souls are so powerful. In fact, when my father did pass, he was like so physically weak but his soul was just so strong. It was like this dynamo that just kept him going. And I think even the, the doctors around who were saying, like, he hasn't got long to go, were kind of surprised when it was like the next day. Yes, he's, he's still with us, you know. And uh, and actually, funny enough, I don't, he, he was prepared to go as well. So he wasn't trying to cling on 
for life. But what I realized was that his soul was just so powerful that it wasn't, it was, you know, it wasn't that easy for it just to suddenly make its transition. Right. Um, huh. So, yeah. So when you are looking at these two, one female on your right and the other on your left, and you're feeling them heal you, heal your soul, yeah. you see the white light that's shining so bright that you would be blinded by if you were in your mm. physical body. Do you believe that is God? That is our one, that is, what is that shining down on you? Well, no, that was, I think that was almost like that, those three grids of white light were this basically the introduction of sort of, of giving me some healing energy. That it wasn't, that wasn't the most profound white light that I saw. The most profound white light that I did see was in a huge tunnel. And I know everybody talks about seeing uh, the tunnel of white light in their near-death experiences and everyone's got a different story to tell. But my story was that I actually felt the energy of it before I'd even seen it. I'd been, you know... The, my experience can, continued on and it was a very final part of the experience where I was laid there and I was enjoying all this healing that was going on and I s- suddenly felt like I, I described it uh, you would have read it in the book that every single molecule of my body was vibrating with this energy of love it was like unconditional love was just going right through me and I thought, where is that coming from? What's going on? And then I lifted my head and just beyond the, the, the being of, 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 with the blonde hair that I talked about was this huge tunnel of white light coming towards me. By the way, by this time, I realized I wasn't in a small darkened space. I was actually in the universe itself. You know, there was a lot going on. So, and so to see it coming through the universe and coming towards me was just like so profound and it was like this tunnel of white light was just surrounded by all these flames that were slowly rotating around. So it was very frightening to look at, but but in that realm there was no sense of fear because there was no emotions that like that, you know. So it was more excitement. I thought, wow, this is remarkable, you know. And I knew again, you talked about telepathy, and the telepathy was telling me that, that this was the source of all creation. This was God, yeah. So what I was looking at was God, rather than the usual image of of what what we're all led to believe that whatever faiths are, there's normally some kind of human attachment, you know, in Christianity, most, you know, obviously, you know, right. is, is the guy with the beard, you know, on the ceiling of the Vatican in Rome, you know. Right. <laughs> but but no, this wasn't a guy with a beard. This was like a huge tunnel of white light. Huh. So that was like a beautiful, profound moment for me to to understand that and, uh, and feel that I was in the presence of God and that God does exist. For the first time in my life, I suddenly yeah. got it, you know. Huh. And you felt it in your body like a, yeah. like every molecule, every every cell that's, was that's vibrating right, yeah. with love. That's it, yeah. That yeah. everything is love. Yeah, exactly. Unconditional love as well. You know, it's just not, it's like all the different forms of love that I'd received throughout my life, whether it be from my, my mother, say, or from my girlfriends or my friends or animals, pets, whatever. It was all those different types of love because they're all so different, but they were all kind of combined into one and they just were just running through me and there was no sense of like, you know, um, is this love going to last? I thought, yeah, it is. That love is there and that love is meant for me. And uh, it it sent me back because after, after I came back into, into the into my body, you know, I came crashing back into my body in the hospital from this beautiful experience. 
it was interesting because most people say to me, oh, you must have been really disappointed coming back, you know, because it was so amazing. And I said, no, I wasn't because I, I was still charged with all this love and this energy that I'd been receiving from the other side. That I was just going, wow, that was amazing. You know, and I just thought, right, what's my mission? Why have they sent me back? There's obviously a reason. What, are I, what do they want me to do, you know? Right. And, and that... That kind of question was like hanging over my head for weeks. You know, I kept trying to find what it was. Like, why did I come back? You didn't even have a choice. You know, you always hear those stories that you have a choice to stay or come back. But I want you didn't finish your the visual you had the stars like the Niagara Falls. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, go there because I love that visual. And why do you think it's stars and the? I don't know. You explain that. Okay. Yeah. Well, what happened there was some. It was at a point where I started being laid out on this rock for some time and I started to think about my family who was down in the you know emergency department. I thought, well, my mum had been in tears anyway when I was down there and I thought, they're going to be really pretty cut up now because I, clearly I'm, I'm dead, you know. So, so I just <laughs> kind of like, I just thought I'd better check them out. So I kind of looked over the edge of the rock hoping to see them. But I couldn't, I didn't see them. But what I did see was this... Uh, this huge waterfall of stars and it was just like it was like a huge arc of of like yeah like you say the size of Niagara you know it was just like very powerful but instead of tons of water sort of uh, cascading over the edge it was it was millions of stars that were just sparkling and they were like shooting stars kind of flying all over the place and I thought wow this is incredible you know that was the point I realized that I was in the universe itself and I looked down and I remember looking down there and as I looked I started to see colors and nebulas as my eye focused and I realized I was looking from one universe to another you know one galaxy sorry one galaxy to another and Hmm. into infinity you know and um, some of the colors and nebulas that I saw there I painted and and it's interesting because Here's some affirmation for me because I realised that one of my friends, in fact, and my sister as well, she got in touch with me. Like this is this is about 2016 that one of the uh, the telescopes, you know, that they got up in space now on the satellites, the Hubble telescope, had taken some photographs from far corners of our galaxy that had never been seen before. And all these beautiful nebulas were just like what I painted, you know. Oh and it was gosh. like I'd already painted these things, you know, and there they were. Wow. Science had now brought back, you know, the same huh. images that I'd seen there. So it was like, wow, that was just remarkable to have that sort of moment of affirmation. Man, wow. Yeah. So when you come back and you're in the hospital room after yeah. this experience, you see your family. Yeah. And they give you confirmation because they were watching this, watching you while you were experiencing this amazing place outside of your body. And they could tell even by looking at your eyes. Yeah, well, it was Anna who'd noticed that. Anna did that. Yeah, yeah, she did, yeah. Because I was so keen to tell her. She was stood right over me when I came back and I said, Anna, I've just got something so amazing to tell you and this is really important. And she's going, not now, not now, you know. (laughs) Obviously, she didn't realise where I'd just been, you know. And uh, she said, wait, you can tell me later. So I did. But, um, yeah, but when when we spoke afterwards, when I did tell her the whole, story and what had happened you know she was so so drawn into the whole thing and she said i know she's like it's your eyes they suddenly changed you went from all the you were in such pain and such 
trauma and you, you were so scared and suddenly you looked at peaceful you know you look your eyes suddenly looked really calm and, and at peace so, so yeah so there was a, a sense of, of knowing that and seeing that but there was lots of other interesting things as well you know the, it took me a, a week to tell my parents because uh, both my parents were christian and i thought this is probably going to jar with their faith and i really it was important for me for them to understand this and I, and I didn't want it to, to upset everything that they'd been taught in their church, you know? And right. so I waited for a week and then I started telling them and I told the whole story as I've been telling you and they just sat there and listened. And then my mom turned around afterwards and she said, we know. And I said, you know, how do you know mom? It's this, and I suppose call it mother's instinct, you know? And she just right. said, Every time we walk into the room, because I got this room to myself in the hospital because of the state I was in, and she said, we come in and you've got tubes and wires coming out of you and you've got nurses all around you, but you're just giving out this energy. You're just glowing every time we walk in. And it's like you're caring for everyone else around you. <laughs> yeah. And they knew it. They could see the, the, the shift, basically, in me. They'd seen the change in their son. So that was, like, really lovely and really beautiful. Yeah. Did it change their view of, of their religion or their beliefs of God from that? It's a tricky one because I realized that it was that um that one thing they did say to me was because I said to them I didn't I was concerned that yeah, they might not be able to understand it. And they did say to me, actually, we, it's it's hardly ever talked about. I said, do, do you talk about the afterlife much, you know, in, in your church? And they said, No, only really sort of, you know, the um the, the story of Christ at Easter, you know, when he comes back from Oh, right. After being crucified, you know, and, and, and that's the resurrection. Sorry, I couldn't think of the yes. word, the most important word in the Bible. <laughs> and, uh, I can, uh, but uh, the resurrection is the only real thing that they talk about. But they never really talk about the fact that, you know, that when we pass it, that, you know, that's the, and uh, discuss what the afterlife is like or anything, you know, it's never really talked about. So, so yeah, and I realised that's true because I used to, I remember I used to I went along to a couple of services afterwards because I was more I was so curious about religion and faiths and all sorts of different faiths. You know, I remember mm-hmm. I had a when I was uh, I couldn't catch I couldn't drive I couldn't catch a train I was catching uh, taxis everywhere and I, used to, I had this taxi driver who was Muslim and I used to chat to him and ask him all about the Muslim faith. I was keen to know how all yeah. that worked. You know, I was keen to know more about Christianity. So, yeah, I went along to my, my parents' church a couple of times, you know, and uh, and sat through some of their services, and I thought, oh, it's interesting, you know, that it's true, that it's not really addressed, you know, that much. Um, so, yeah. So let's go into the gifts that you brought back. And I think once you healed your space, healed your soul with all that love, the gifts that you took this, ins- you had inspired thought, you had these thoughts of music and art. To That's paint. right. Yeah. Painting first. Painting came first, yeah. When I was lying in that hospital, I was just concerned that I was going to, I thought, it was, it was, I'd never heard of a near-death experience or anything like this before, and I thought it was only me that had happened to at that stage, you know. And I thought, right. I've got to, how am I going to tell everyone about this? And I've got to make sure I remember it, you know. So I thought, right, I'm going to do a painting once I get out of hospital. And I'd never really done anything like this at all, you know. But I thought, no, it's got to be a huge renaissance style painting like these big sort of ones that you see in the vatican in rome with all the biblical scenes you know it's got to be dramatic so i thought that's what i'm going to do so that's when i started painting and i started doing so you know once i was well enough i started painting 
I got myself a canvas, just I stuck to my word and I got this huge canvas. And um, yeah, I was apprehensive starting it because I thought, you don't come back superhuman. You, you, I still came back with emotions thinking, like, am I going to be able to do this? Because I didn't want to mess this up. This is too important. But once I started painting, it was, it was incredible because it started to come together on this canvas immediately, you know, as if I'd just been to, and had a, a two-year crash course condensed into one day, you know, wow. of how to paint. And I was being helped. I was realising that I was, being, I was channeling energy through from this other realm because I felt like it's, I was still very attached to that, that other side. I didn't suddenly, it just didn't suddenly end and cut off. I felt like there was a cord of, of information coming through to me. Um, so, yeah, so I was prolific. I couldn't stop, so I just kept painting and painting. And people used to come up. I was some. It was there was a lot of synchronicity started to happen in my life after after the NDE. One of those moments of synchronicity was I met two friends of my sisters, and they they said, "Look, we've got a." They run a yoga Pilates center, and they said, "We've got a studio space going for a week. You can start your first painting there." So I said, "Yeah, okay." And of course, I never finished it. But they said, "No, we want to keep you here. Yeah, this is great. We love having you here." And I got known as the artist in the attic, you know. So. People would come in who were coming in for yoga sessions and come up and chat and see, ask me what was going on. So I started talking about it. I realised that a lot of people were fascinated by the story. And um, then one of the people who came up there was a, was a, a cello player in, in the local orchestra, and we became friends and we used to go for coffee and stuff and uh, and stuff. And it got to the stage where I I I was inspired to start writing music, you know, and uh, this came through. I was going for spiritual healing because I'd gone back to this church where I'd had that that message, you know, from that medium, you know, because I wanted to try and track down that medium and talk to her. Oh, you know. oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was really important to me to try and find her, you know. And uh, so and while I was in there, they said, oh, we do spiritual healing here. And I said, okay, that sounds great. Because my arm was pretty banged up at that point, you know, with all sorts of plastic hanging off it. And so, yes, yeah, so I, I, was, I was being healed. And some of the healers there at Clairvoyance, and they would give me messages. And, and they kept saying things like, why am I seeing a violin laid across your chest? I'm hearing Beethoven and Wagner and stuff. And I was going, oh, no idea, you know. And then one of them one week turned around and said, um, they're telling me you're going to write some music about your experience. So I went, great. So I'd already been so you know, prolific with the paintings. I thought I'm going straight home. I'm going to start writing what I thought was going to be a song because that's all huh. I knew. I, I'm not classically trained and classical music never even entered my, my sphere, you know. Right. And so I got this old cheap Spanish synthesizer and I dusted that out there, got it out of the loft or whatever, you know. And all I got was a, a cassette recorder and this little synthesizer. And I tried to write this song, but the song wasn't coming. And then one day I was inspired by this chord progression that I just started playing and it sounded totally different than all the other bits I've been doing. I thought, wow, this sounds great. And I started developing it as that day went on. I thought, this sounds like something that should be performed by an orchestra. So I thought, I'm going to contact my new friend, the cellist, you know, and speak to her and say, look, this is what I'm doing. I'm writing this piece of music, you know, and... um, and she actually turned around and said, well, maybe we could perform it in our orchestra. And I thought, brilliant. So I worked really hard just to try and get this whole thing together. I say I worked really hard. It was starting to come together just really quite fast, you know. And um, I, But I needed help because this was an orchestra we're talking about here, you know, and then they need music, you know, they need the score. So right. I spoke to my brother and he said, look, 
you know, he'd been to university and like he he'd studied and he said, look, I've got this app that I can give you and if you attach it to your laptop and you'll need a different keyboard, when you play in all those notes that you're playing, instead of recording them onto a cassette recorder, it'll digitally record what you're doing, but also it will transform it into notation. Wow. Uh, so I did that and then printed it all off and uh, took it to the first rehearsal. Walked into that rehearsal and... I was really nervous because I thought, I don't even know this, if this is going to work, right. first of all. But also, wow. these people are like highly educated, sort of, you know, middle class musicians who take their work very seriously. And here's me, a working class guy with no, <laughs> with nothing, you know, knowledge at all, you know. So oh my gosh. in and, um, yeah, and I remember the conductor said, Will you speak to the orchestra about your piece? And I said, oh, no, no, that's fine. You know, I'll leave it to you. And he said, no, come on, David. So I did. And do you know what? All those fears just went to the side because that, this piece was actually about my, my near-death experience. And I called it the divine light. And as soon as I talked about the piece and what it was about, everyone was so captivated. They were always asking me questions. And so then I found the confidence to say, look, when you play this piece, can you make sure it sounds like this or that, you know? And, and anyway, I stepped back and the conductor's baton came down, you know, the moment of truth, is this going to work or not? Wow. And you know what? It was the most incredible feeling because those little chords I'd been playing on, that little cheap synthesizer, were now being played by an orchestra and the sound was just beautiful. It was just how I'd imagined it in my head. Wow. And I couldn't believe it. And I was just... But I could believe it because I thought it's happening again. I'm being helped. You know, I remember looking up and I was going, wow. We, they were rehearsing actually in a, in a church, which is converted into a venue, you know. And I remember looking up and going in, into the rafters going, thank you. Oh, <laughs> Just, yeah. Wow. And it, when, then you had one that sold out. You started explaining yeah. the, you had a you went and had they sold tickets to your, the, to the orchestra and it sold out and you got a standing ovation. That's right, yeah. Um, I realised that um, it, all that came about was because um, the, the orchestra, it was at this very, very first concert, the debut concert, you know, and um, they said, um, look, would you mind talking to the local press, saying a couple of lines about your piece because you've written something? And I said, yeah, sure. So I spoke to the local press and they said, hang on a second, you're the guy who went under the train, yeah? And I was going, yeah. They said, we know all about your story. Wow, yeah, this is going on the front page, you know. So it did. And then the phone started ringing and then the BBC wanted to come and interview me. And so because the BBC coming along, then all of a sudden it was on the news and then it sold out two weeks in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it was, you know, the difference is, it sounds odd, but there's a, there's a different energy between feeling, I didn't feel a sense of ego. I didn't feel a sense of, hey, you know, the big, right. like, the great I am, you know. It, it was more like brilliant. More and more people are going to get in and come and hear this piece and understand what I'm trying to convey about my the afterlife and the, what it's like to have a near-death experience. That's what I could think of, you know. And it was true because because it was packed. The atmosphere in there was just like tremendous, you know, and uh, and the performance was the orchestra were really happy because it was a, a, such a busy venue. I mean, there were people standing around the edges. It was just like a tremendous vibe, you know, and uh, so it was great for them to perform it, and they did an amazing performance. And so, yeah, like you say, so when it, 
it finished. I didn't even realise we were standing ovation. And because I was, we'd been, my family and myself had been given front row seats, you know, so we were sat at the front. And uh, when they finished, I remember my mum throwing her arms around me in tears going, David, that was just so beautiful, you know. And I was just like hugging my mum, you know, and that's all I could think of, you know. And then right. my sister's, my sister's right next to my mum going, David, David, look behind you, you know. And then I looked and then all, everyone was stood up. It's like, Oh, wow. Oh it's just, you know, so it was a, a tremendous, tremendous uh, success in terms of, of that message getting across and everybody really feeling it and, and feeling the emotion of it all. Yeah. But, you know, so when you th- look at these gifts that came from this experience, the, the painting and the music and what you're doing now with your life and the book and what you, how you lived your life before that, how do you put into words? Oh, I'm so grateful that this train, (laughs) how do you live your life now? Like what, looking at things as opportunities that if that is something you keep going and you do it because it's a gift, it's a message from God saying, keep moving forward and doing all these amazing things and see what else other gifts you can unfold. I mean, for me, it's just like, I've got a completely different approach to life than what I had before and before all the time. First of all, I was avoiding any adversities that came my way. And now when they do happen, I, I allow those adversities to come. And, you know, they're not nice and not for any of us, but I know that they will eventually pass and they will move on. But secondly, I don't have this sense of like, as I say, I was constantly trying to move into circles. I was trying, constantly trying to push doors open that weren't meant for me. So I was stuck, you know, because I wasn't moving forward because I was just knocking on the wrong doors. Whereas now I find that, as you will have heard from what I was talking about, that all the doors and opportunities that started to come into my life happened because I, I allowed them to come to me. I didn't, you know what I mean? I was authentic to myself as well, that I just stopped and was me and I was the real person for the first time in my life. And so those opportunities, the synchronicities started to, to come and unfold, you know. And so, you know, so that's, so I continue to be that way. You know, it's like, for example, you know, when the book came out, I didn't know how that was going to go. It came out just before the pandemic. And I actually thought, you know, everyone was saying to me, oh, my goodness, you know, your book's coming out and we're going into lockdown, all the bookshops are closing. You know, how are you feeling about it all? And I said, I'm fine, you know, because I just don't know. This is meant to be part of the story. This is meant to be right. part of, you know, who knows what will happen. And in, in the end, actually, it turned out to work in my favour for the book because I realised that um, I was able to start doing the kind of thing I'm doing with you now, doing uh, connecting people all over the world via Zoom. And I did loads and loads of interviews and just reaching out from, you know, the comfort of my own apartment, you know, rather than have to jump on a plane and run out of money (laughs) trying to travel around the world (laughs) and promote it, you know. So there you go. So you just don't know how things are going to turn out, you know. You really don't. But you know that it's for the perfect... It's like for your highest good, whatever it is. It is, yeah. If, if you've been authentic to yourself then and you find your authenticity, then it is to your highest good, then, it, then it's meant to happen, you know. If I started doing something, you know, that wasn't meant to be, you know, I mean, the, obviously there's been moments throughout where I've had people working with me for, you know, promoting the book and that and stuff at my publisher stuff where they say, hey, you know, you need to get on this show, you need to start doing this and that. And I'm going, that's not for me, you know, that, that's, that doesn't work for me and... Uh, and and I'm glad that I stuck to to my guns because it wouldn't have worked, you know. I just suddenly I think I would have started 
I, I see it almost like life is like this kind of like highway and the highway is, that is meant for us. If we just continue going down that highway and even if we hit a traffic jam, it doesn't matter. Don't, don't be tempted to take the nearest turn off and think and take the shortcut because the shortcuts can end up being taking you further off the path and stuff like that. So it's a bit like that. I kind of just think, no, just keep going down that highway and we're on the right highway now. This, I've found it now. I've found my authentic self, where, it's, where I'm meant to be going. And, and it feels good. It feels, it feels really good, you know, to be be authentic for the first time in my life, I guess. Yeah, you know, and I think that that's a, for all of us. I think that, you know, I mean, I thought that whole, to be honest with you, with the whole pandemic, that's what happened to a lot of people, you know, especially in the UK when we first went into lockdown, people would start to get in touch with nature for the first time. They were like educating mm-hmm. their kids from home, baking bread or, you know, even painting as well, being creative and stuff for the first time in their lives. So there you go. You know, it's it's almost a similar process. Yes, I agree. A hundred percent. What is your relationship with your spirit guides, your angels? Do you, you know, pray? What is now, what has changed in your spiritual practice? I know you go to that, that church or the spiritual healing place. Yeah. Yeah. I go for spiritual healing. I don't actually attend the, the services there. You know, there's nothing wrong with the services, but it's just not for me. I find that I connect with my guides and I connect with God and the universe through the, the spiritual healing because it's so intimate you know it's just like two people healing me and, and the energy that's coming through them they're conducting that energy and all three of us feel it you know when they when the healing session finishes all three of us will just sit sit there and we won't talk for a few minutes and and i'll say wow that was amazing and they go yeah it was wasn't it so they get it as well so it's just like a, there's, there's a beautiful connection there but I pray. I mean, I, I never actually uh, call upon my guides that much. I don't say, "Oh, can you help me with this? Can you help me now?" You know, but I will pray. Yeah, if prayers are needed, you know, if things are going if really tough, you know, in my life, um, and then I will pray. It's usually for others, to be honest with you. It's like, you know, if people, if people close to me, my loved ones, my family are are suffering or they're facing something that's really big in their life, I just send out prayers. But I, that's another thing I learned about churches as well. There's a lot of thing about a lot of a lot of faiths and a lot of religions. Um, there's a sense of almost like I kind of almost like you feel a little bit guilty about. Uh, you've got to be really humble before you pray for what you want. You know, you, well the the whole thing about getting on your knees and stuff like that. You know, whereas for me, I think that it doesn't work like that. The, the universe wants us to succeed. It wants us to love and create. So I don't think we should have any qualms about it. Just being direct and saying, please, can you help me? Can you help my my nephew to make sure he gets the, this exam result? Can you please get him mm. through it? I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with, with that at all. Yeah. Right, right. Be direct. <laughs> be direct, yeah, be direct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, be authentically direct. I just had a thought before we close this up, but I go back to that moment where you thought you were getting a job, you were had no money left, you were at a place, what would your advice be if you had to go back in time and tell David, this is what I would tell you to get through this moment of what you feel is the darkness mm. of your life of where you were at that moment with nothing? Yeah, I would tell myself um, that you're actually, you're loved, you are really loved and to love, to learn to love yourself, uh, which I wasn't doing that. And then once you've found that lesson of how to love yourself, then you'll find self-worth. 
self-worth will, will follow on from that self-love. And then when you find self-worth, it's kind of like you'll stop trying to aspire to other people and stop trying to want to be in all these different social circles and you'll stop acting as well, you know, and that's right. what I would have told myself to stop the acting, quit it. You know, you don't need right. to do that. You're a great guy. That's right. what I was oh, telling totally. I love that. So <laughs> your artwork, your music, your website, your book, everyone can find you uh, yeah. shine on. Yeah. Shine on the story.com is, is the name of the website. Yeah. Okay. And and the book yeah, is called shine on. Yeah. So yeah. Yes. If, if anyone's interested in right in, here, my there it is. There's the book that I love so much. Highly, oh, I've been pleasure. telling everybody about it. Yeah. Well, it's it. out there. It's on Amazon. You know, it's, it's so, but you know, but as I say, the good starting point, if people want to follow up on where I'm at, is to try and look at the website and just have a look there. And then all my social media links on are on there. The reason I say social media is because, you know, I put my paintings on latest bits of work and stuff like that and keep everybody informed as to how things are moving. And there's the music is on there, the your Oh, yeah, orchestra. that's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, the divine you. light. Yeah, the first divine light. you can stream that for free, so you can listen to that. Please go if you want to hear the music, just go and have a listen to it. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Oh, you are so amazing, and I'm so grateful for this time with you. Thank I you. I feel like I've I know you because I've you know read the book, so I feel like <laughs> you're my you know soul brother. But uh, thank you. It was so fun. My pleasure. It's been great. And I wish you everything. Cause I know everything will, you know what, let me go quick is I feel like I see a movie. I see like, these, like, <laughs> I, I just see so many big things mm. and I know you do too. And Fantastic. I know you're going to take that to the next level in your Thank life. Thank you. Thank you so yeah, much. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, David. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the uncover your magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments, or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, always look for the magic.